the New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner. Welcome along to the podcast. Uh, this is Paul Spain, and today I'm in Singapore with Callum Lang. Callum is CEO of Intrivo Asia and the founder at Fitness Buffet. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, business person, communicator with a wide sphere of influence here in Asia. Well, let's jump in. Uh, how are you, Callum? I'm very well, thank you, Paul. It's well, good, good to see you here. And thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, now, give me a little bit of background. Where, where have you come from? How do you end up here in Singapore? Sure. So I was, despite the accent, I was born in New Zealand uh, a while ago and uh, grew, grew up in the UK, um, had a few few business experiences in, in Europe and then moved out to Asia about 13 years ago, nearly 14 years ago now. And what was it that brought you to Asia? Was there sort of something pivotal that brought you here to Asia? Well, the official business story is that uh, I saw I saw the macro trends, um, and, and to be fair, there's an element of truth in that. I was uh, a bit of a bit of a business geek, and even you know, fifteen twenty years ago, it was clear that lots of stuff was happening in Asia. So I kind of been watch- watching that and wanted to be a part of that. Um, Added to that, I had a friend in Hong Kong, and I went and spent uh, I went and spent some time with her at the Hong Kong Sevens, and and just thought that was the best thing ever, and I, I needed to be in Asia. Uh, so, yeah, so the ma- macro trends was definitely one of the the key drivers, but it but it helped coming out and watching the rugby here and thinking, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a fun place to live. And from a lifestyle perspective, how's it worked out for you? Oh, it's awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a fantastic. I mean, it's, it's always dubious when you talk about Asia because it's such a diverse place. Um, we started off living in Thailand, um, which is you know, absolutely beautiful country, and you know you, you get to you get to, to to live the dream. I mean, I I had a quite a successful company in Amsterdam, sort of at the height of the dot com boom, and that was yeah you know, that was great and and the money was good um but i always kind of had this idea that at some point i'll retire to somewhere like thailand and then when you move there you can live live that and every weekend you're sort of an hour away from these amazing beaches and and so i was actually able to kind of live live some of the lifestyle piece and yeah no it's great and what about that story of retirement? Where does that where does that fit into the picture? Would you oh, would lost, you ever retire? Lost, lost interest in that. <laughs> um, no, I think it's it's funny because we've just uh, we've just spent the weekend uh, with some with with a whole bunch of business owners, and we've been talking about some of the exits and the liquidity events, and um, really trying to get people to to move away from this idea of spending 30 years building a business up and and hoping that you can sell it at the end and and actually start creating businesses that are valuable to acquiring businesses now and having a series uh, of liquidity events as as you go through which which is kind of a series of mini retirements and it just just uh yeah, Jeremy Harbour, who who I work with on this, um, always says that the the two things that small business owners are looking for the most are money and time. And actually, when you sell your business, you get money and time. So why not figure out how to sell the business sooner rather than later? Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, the 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 idea of the big retirement doesn't really appeal anymore. 
Yeah, okay. That 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 sounds interesting. So, what lessons can you sort of share from uh, from the event that you've had this weekend that might be of interest to you know our listeners that are uh, in business for themselves and you know, they're they're kind of curious in terms of you know how they how they could sell their business uh, or how they could acquire other businesses. Yeah. So, look, I think I think it's it's a really really interesting space, and I think. Um, I did what most entrepreneurs do is we sort of look at the the top name entrepreneurs and and we think that the path is you start a business and you work really really hard and um you know blood sweat and years and and go through it that way um what you kind of get to realize is that most of them make their money on the exit it's actually quite rare to be making a lot of money um during the the process so Jeremy Harbour, who I work with on on this, he had built up a business, he had sold it, um, but part of the way through his building a business, he actually acquired another company. And what, he had reached a level where he was being approached by a number of people wanting to acquire him. And the one thing they all had in common with these, these offers to acquire him was that none of them were offering him money. Um, it was all kind of, yeah, uh, we can give you some savings in this area. We can create some great collaborations, jam tomorrow type stuff. And pretty common, isn't it? It, it is very common. And, but it's not what most entrepreneurs expect. Most entrepreneurs expect if you get bought out, you're going to get a pot of cash and you can walk away. And so Jeremy's realization was, well, the one thing these guys have in common is they're not offering me money. And I haven't got any money, so maybe I could go and acquire a company using a similar structure. So he started acquiring companies and and realized that you know he was buying these companies for a pound, but creating value for them in other ways and doubling the size of his business in in one deal, which you know is generally pretty difficult to do. Um, so that was kind of one of his realizations: was you, you don't actually need money in order to acquire other companies. There's there's some more clever ways of doing it. Um, and then, of course, he, he did get a, eventually got um, acquired and it, it was for cash and, and he suddenly realized that actually that's, that's where you make the money is on the exit. So is it possible to create more exits? Um, so he started working with companies and um, he, he likens it to not running a full marathon, just running the last hundred yards, but still getting, getting the medals. Um, so, <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we're working on now is once you start to understand what acquiring companies are looking for, it's actually relatively simple to take somebody else's business and repackage it and polish it in a way that it becomes attractive. So for most small business owners, we obsess every single day on how we can create more value for our customers but that's not necessarily the same as creating shareholder value um and so the the idea is well actually the only value you should be creating uh is for the the final customer who's the the company that's going to buy you um so yeah it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting space and uh I, i think one of the one of the other things that we've played around with is understanding why most small businesses will only ever get acquired for you know one or two times multiples um and these bigger companies are are able to float for for 10 or 20 times multiples so is it possible to roll up a few companies to to get them to that 
point and and so sort of playing around with that space which is uh which is great great fun and uh, really enjoying it yeah great that's fascinating now we we were talking earlier before we started around uh the idea of building an an ecosystem around uh around your business around your brand um could you sort of delve into that a little a little bit for me? Yeah, sure. So, so one of the clients that um, I work with is a company called Entrevo, which which stands for Entrepreneur Revolution. Um, they own a brand called Key Person of Influence, um, which was founded by a young Aussie guy called Daniel Priestley. And what he had identified was that in every industry and every niche you have a few people at the top that have a disproportionate amount of influence on the industry Um, they're the ones the media always goes to for quotes they're the ones the top staff want to work with and what he had discovered after meeting a lot of these people was that they weren't necessarily any smarter than the rest of us they hadn't been born with any gifts Um, but what they were very very good at doing was packaging their value in a way that it created maximum value for others and, and he identified that they were doing that through five, five key things. So the, they were very good at pitching their ideas. Um, typically, they were published. So either they had a book out or they were regularly writing for industry journals. But they were getting their intellectual property out into the world. Um, they had a product ecosystem, which, which I'll come back to. Uh, but the key thing was that they weren't having to show up to make money. There were, there were products out there. They were high profile within their industry. So... If you are, I mean, that didn't mean they got mobbed in the street, but if if within their industry, everyone knew them. Um, and the final one was partnerships. They were able to create that, uh, take the value they'd created and partner with others to, to spread it. So the product ecosystem idea is really interesting. And it's, um, we, you know, use an example of someone like Jamie Oliver that, that most people know. And you kind of say, well, where does Jamie Oliver make his money? Because he's got all this different stuff going on. And he does. Yeah. um, So you might look at his books and say, well, does he make his money from his books? Because he sells millions of them. But actually, if you look at the marketing spend and the PR that goes around those, well, probably not because there's there's so much of that. But, well, maybe he makes money from his restaurants or is it from his sponsorship deals? Or, And what you realize is that, He's just got this ecosystem around him of, you know, he can charge $100,000 to go and speak at a conference, but then he'll go and speak at TED for free. Um, so why is he doing that? And and it's because um, what you realize with these key people of influence is they have these ecosystems and sometimes they're ahead in one area, but they're behind in another area. But they know if they keep building it, that that the money will always come. And what we notice with small business owners is that very often they're just obsessed on the ROI. Um, you know, they get an opportunity to speak in front of their target market, but there's, they're not going to get paid for it. So they're like, well, why should I, why should I uh, give my time for free? Yes. Um, or, you know, they look at social media and they say, well, yeah, it takes too long. I'm never going to get a return on that. Um, and so what we encourage our clients to do is to kind of take a little bit more of a holistic approach. Um, and one of the, the guiding sort of principles for us is actually some research that Google came out with a few years ago, uh, which they called Zero Moments of Truth. Um, and if you Google, funny enough, Zmot, <laughs> yeah. um, Z-M-O-T, Zero Moments of Truth, they've, they've got a downloadable uh, document on it. And the idea was that for any significant purchase, uh, individuals or consumers are going to want to build up a level of trust with you before they make that purchase. 
and you want to be giving them at least 12 different touch points. So, you know, they want to be, a, they need to see your website, to, to read your tweets, to read an article that you've written, watch an interview that you've done, listen to a podcast. Um, but if you can do that, there's this amazing opportunity to, to build trust with people without you actually having to, to invest any time in the process, which means by the time they actually come to talk to you, they're already pretty much sold. Yeah, it's just, the line. just a logistics question after that. So how hard is it to do that? Because I think you know, a lot of people will look at the skill set required uh, to really put themselves out there and just presume it's actually too difficult and they don't necessarily have uh, have the right expertise to do that. They don't know where to get started and so on. But is it really, is it really that hard? So Daniel's got this beautiful uh, metaphor he uses which uh, which I, I really resonate with which um, is that basically I was going to say by the time you get to our age which doesn't really work on radio but um, <laughs> uh, you know by the time you're sort of in your 30s and 40s which I'm going to uh, guess that a lot of the listeners are or above you've actually built up a huge amount of intellectual property over the years um, you know, you've worked for some great companies, you've worked for some horrible companies, you've worked in some amazing teams, you've worked in some horrible teams, you've had horrible bosses, you've maybe been a horrible boss. Um, <laughs> and I all, hope that doesn't apply to me, <laughs> or not too much. Um, but all of these things, you you tend not to value because you've gone, gone through them. And, and the metaphor that Daniel uses is, if you've ever climbed up a mountain or a volcano, it's really hard work, right? You fight gravity all the way up there and you fall down a few times and you cut yourselves and it's exhausting and you're sweating and you get to the top. And the most amazing thing when you're at the top of a mountain is you look across and you see the peaks of all the other mountains, you know, going through the clouds and, and it looks amazing. Um, and you look at your own mountain and you just see mud and um, you know, old molten rock. It's uh, or volcanic rock. It's not very impressive, and and so we tend to view our own careers and say, well, yeah, I haven't I haven't really done anything that impressive. And you look at other people and you think, yeah, well, if I'd had their career, then of course I could could do that. Um, so it's not actually about that. And as Dan discovered, meeting a lot of these these key people of influence, they hadn't actually had that much more spectacular careers what they had done was they'd packaged what they'd learned very well um and so just that idea of being able to pitch you know articulate the value that you can create in the world uh, you you only have to go to a, a small business networking event to realize how bad most people are at articulating how they create value in the world um getting your ideas published you know get, getting out there and and actually um, you know, what are the things you've learned? You know, what are the things you love about your industry? What are the things you hate about your industry? Um, you'll have a unique take on it. And yeah, if you, if you work in marketing, there's a gazillion other marketing books out there. But the way you talk about marketing with your particular insights is going to resonate with certain people. Um, and then, you know, create, creating a product architecture around that. And, and you know, it's never been easier to... Yeah, you can put together we, – we all sort of train our staff on various – you know, this is how you should be answering the phones or this is how you use this bit of technology. You know, now you can put that into a, into a slideshow or record it as a video and sell that as a 
training program on on Udemy or any number of other That's courses. Yeah. Um, so it's never been easier to, to productize our value. Um, and Yes, it's going to be rubbish, the first few ones you, you put out, but that's how you learn. Like, I've never met anyone that wasn't embarrassed by their first content that they put sure, out. Sure, sure. But, what, what, you know, when you do that, you're taking what I guess is the IP that relates to your organization. You're putting it out there and you're, and you're giving it away. Uh, it's got to be an aspect of risk around that and, and some, in some cases. Um, I mean, certainly... Yeah, I think it, it's easy to think that that's the case anyway. Whether whether it is or it it, it is or it isn't, uh, I guess will vary in each case. And there's obviously there's a lot more behind whatever you share with other people. That's uh, that 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 brings that uniqueness to an individual uh, organisation, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think there's two school of schools of thought of the, on that. I think one is that you can retain some information. Um, uh, but the reality is, if your customers are out there looking for a solution, and there's one person that says, "Look, I've got all the information. I, yeah, this is this is what I know. You, you can take this information, and try and figure it out yourself, or you can get in touch with us, and we, we'll work with you." Um, I mean, certainly, there's there's uh, there's things that I keep closer to myself that that I only share with with sort of my top clients. Um, but the other school of thought of it, which which I'm sort of coming more and more to 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 coming around to, to thinking like that, is you put out your best thinking at the time, and what happens is that attracts people, and your best thinking evolves. Um, I, I agree with that entirely. In yeah. fact, you know, it's interesting within within uh, my main business within Gorilla Technology, and there've been people that have uh, come through the business over the years, and they'll they'll take. You know the IP that they've learned, and that will end up, you know, across the industry. And uh, you know, I guess you know one of one of our uniques when we when we started about uh, fifteen years ago was a uh, an audit analysis project that we would do for a business to look at their technology uh, that the business is using and see how that lines up with their business strategy and and you know find the variances and give them some advice on where to go. And over the years, we would see this coming back to us in varying forms, but inevitably, it was always an older variation on you know oh well that's you know that that they've they've sort of taken what we used to produce five years ago and sort of regurgitated it and used it whereas you know from there of course business and technology has moved on a lot um so yeah i i think actually there's some value in actually just just letting that go and sharing it and when you hear people talking about uh, you know the unique things that you do as a business leader or as a business, and other people start talking about that stuff. Then you know, I think the value that actually creates is um, you know it's worth letting it go. I, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing is you attract at your level. So you start putting out your best thinking. You attract other thought leaders that that want to come and work with you. Um, and you know, I don't know about you, but most entrepreneurs. We can't do the same stuff over and over again. It bores us. You know, we, we want to move on to the new thing. We want to test ideas in the wild and, and that sort of stuff. So, so our thinking is constantly evolving as as we learn and, and meet new people and and you know try new business models and things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Now, social media is something that uh, you know. I think a lot of a lot of business owners that you, you talked about it before you know, are not that keen to. 
to get involved with. I'm I'm too busy. I don't understand how I'm going to get a return on investment and so on. Um, how do you use it, and what's a what's the you know the typical sort of recommendation that you will share with people around? Uh, yeah, how they should take advantage of. Uh, yeah, these social technology platforms that allow you instead of talking one on one with someone that you know, uh, like well, like I could say like we are now, but uh, you know we're using the technology to make sure this this gets hit by by thousands more. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. So I I I was totally in that that uh, that camp of of not really seeing seeing the value in it, not really understanding how how it could could apply and and i've got a you know daniel Priestley wrote the first book he wrote was key person of influence which um and i think you can you can go to keypersonofinfluence.com and take a test and i think you can even download an, an ebook or something um his next book was entrepreneur revolution where he kind of delved into this a little bit more and one of the things that we again we work with our clients on is to get very very clear on who's your target customer um, once you know who your target customer is, you then need to know what's the central question that they've got in their mind. So what is the problem that they're trying to solve? Because all, all commerce, nobody spends anything unless they're trying to solve a problem. If you're trying to solve a problem, uh, consciously or otherwise, it's going to form a question in your head. You know, if I'm hungry, where can I get food? So what is the central question of your target customer? And then basically what you do is any content that you're putting out is going to be in some form or another answering that question um and what that does is uh, again we, we touched on this earlier that the thing i find quite interesting is you know personal influence on its own is great but it's very localized um technology on its own is great but it's yeah it's a little bit scary it's a little bit cold um People aren't really quite clear on it, but if you can marry those two concepts, we can you can take the the your personal humanity and what you believe in, and and marry that with technology to get scale. It's incredibly powerful, and uh, yeah, look, it, it never ceases to amaze me the uh, the opportunities that people have. Yeah, they'll see me on Twitter or something, and then they'll go and they'll yeah they. they deep dive into my LinkedIn profiles or articles I've written or my slide share. Um, and of course, 90% of them, it's not relevant for them and they, they bounce off. But you know, those individuals that are looking to expand in Asia, for example, or you know, they want to launch here, they get in touch with me. And so I'm constantly getting inbound business opportunities. And, and you know, some of them are perfect for me. Others of them, I'll just deflect into my network. Um, and you know, obviously, the more opportunities I push into my network, the more people want to be in the network, and so it it kind of spirals up. But sure. um, yeah, no, look, I, I've I've become become a bit of a believer that uh, uh, just just again because of this idea that people, the first thing they do when they hear your name is they'll Google you and they'll, they'll search what comes up and. Um, and then, the, yeah, if they're interested, they'll spend an hour going through to make sure you are who you say you are, and 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 if if your values match with their values, then then they want to do business with you. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Actually, I had a discussion uh, recently with with a number of different people around how they manage their own brand in an online context, and it's surprising 
how few people actually think about that how you know there's something about googling yourself and oh you know i can't do that well you know actually if you're not doing that then you don't know how you're represented online absolutely uh, and so one of the things that I, I encourage uh, people to do, and, you know, you're a good example of this, is to make sure, you know, you've got your name .com or dot, you know, whatever the appropriate domain name is for, for where you're uh, located uh, or or some, you know, some variation of that so that you're owning that first thing, that you've got your LinkedIn, uh, you've on those key social networks, even if you don't have time yet to do a whole lot, but you've you've you know you've captured your brand and uh, that's going to come up above hopefully above any other sort of you know random random bits and pieces yeah absolutely absolutely it's a plant planting your flag so how how have you done that what things have you you done uh in term, in terms of you know making sure that uh that you own your brand in those <laughs> regards so irritatingly i um i like most people, when I first heard of Twitter, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then I had a business in Thailand, and um, I think I'd read an article that sort of suggested that Twitter could be a good marketing tool. And sure, so I went on and I, uh, I, I had, I was able to get the domain Callum Lang, and um, so I, for a year or so, I promoted the business through this, and I got quite into to Twitter, and it's quite useful. And then when everything kind of went pear-shaped in 2008, 2009, I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. And, and I ended up deleting it. And uh, irritatingly, it's now owned by some 13-year-old kid <laughs> in Scotland. Uh, so I had, I've now got Lane Callum rather than Callum Lane. Yeah, but, okay. uh, um, yeah I mean, the first time I looked for CallumLang.com, somebody else had it um, and then looked looked again relatively recently and it had come up again. Um, yeah. So I'm not actually a very good example of someone <laughs> that's, that's done this stuff. We all learn along the way, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my challenge with it, and I'm, and I'm sure this is anyone that's kind of held holding back on this is that you see bad examples of it and and you think well i don't want to be a bad example of it i think the the trick is to say yeah there's always going to be bad examples who who are some people that i do respect that that are doing some cool stuff in this space and how are they doing it um because because it can be done well um and it's not to do it you know the way Jamie Oliver does it, he's targeting a very specific market um, and that might not appeal to you. The way Tim Ferriss does it, again, he's targeting a particular market. Um, so what are your what are your target clients doing? Um, and if it's business to business, maybe they're spending more time on LinkedIn. So maybe that's the channel that, that you use. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always good and bad examples. Uh, I, th- I think there's now more grown-up <laughs> examples that we can sort of take best practice from. And I guess the key thing is to get started, isn't it, is to do yeah. something. And it doesn't have to be brilliant uh, initially, but you get that, that platform that you can then build up from. Yeah, absolutely. I, we, we have a saying, uh, prolific beats perfect, and it's... Um, yeah, I, I think it was um, Reid Hoffman at LinkedIn that said, if you're not embarrassed by your, the first product you put out, you've waited too long. And uh, and it's, you know, it's very much, we live in a world now where you've just got to get out there and, and start the conversation. Agreed. Now, I'd like to just turn, we're, we're here in Singapore, 
we're sort of, I guess, uh, you know, smack bang uh, amongst it in in Asia. Uh, there, there's so much business that goes on uh, here, um, you know, that reaches right across the region. I'm keen to hear your perspectives on the sort of opportunities that you see here for those that are based here and, you know, wondering whether they should be here, where they should be putting their efforts. And, you know, for those that are, that are elsewhere, New Zealand and uh, et cetera, and uh, wondering, well, how, how important is Asia as a, as a market and what are the sorts of opportunities they should be looking at? Yeah. Well, I'm obviously going to have a biased view on this. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, I think my view on, on Asia is, look, it's a, it's a huge market. It's very fragmented. Um, but there are so many fundamental shifts going on. And the reality of entrepreneurship is that we make our money where there's shifts in value. And so, you know, dot com was a great example of of a, a, the new order shaking things up and it created this big gap where where a huge amount of money was made very quickly um so i think what's happening in asia you, you've got a situation where it's only just recently uh, asia as a whole has crossed from being a fifth uh, from being a predominantly rural community to being a predominantly urban community and that's that, still tracking pretty quickly, isn't uh, it? Absolutely. And, and I guess varies a lot from country to country too. It, it does, it does. Um, you've got a situation where you've got a whole generation growing up here uh, where they've only known internet. Um, Malaysia, uh, I think in... So I, I put out a, every six months, I put out sort of a, a survey of stuff that's going on in, in Asia. Um Malaysia has got, I think 35% of Malaysians have only ever accessed the internet through mobile phones. Um, so, yeah, that's a staggering statistic. Uh, Singapore, South Korea, again, predominantly internet usage is through mobile phones rather than, than uh, computers. So you've got these big shifts that are happening. And whenever you've got that, it there's disruption, and whenever there's disruption, there's great opportunities for, for entrepreneurs. I, I think when I speak to small business owners in uh, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, um, almost everyone knows somebody that tried a business here and got ripped off and, and, <laughs> and failed. Um, so I think the... Um, it part, getting getting the right partners is, is definitely beneficial, but I, but I also think... Yeah, the world has changed so much in the last five to ten years. The, it's pretty easy to to dip your toe in the water over here now. Um, you know, you can test the market. You can you can try some things without having to spend huge amounts of money. Um, you know, I, I launched my one of the last businesses I actually launched is Fitness Buffet, and and we grew to six countries and a and a US ten million dollar valuation before I hired my first full-time employee. Um, now, that's a little bit extreme, but but I just, I had, I think, 40 people working for me through Elance. Um, I still, to this day, have never met them. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it's become so easy to leverage off other people's skills and, the, you know, the communications are so good and distribution is so good that, 
you know, if people are, are thinking about it, then I'd encourage them to get a bit creative and and not say, okay, we need to earmark $5 million and go and set up a big office and do that. Um, go and find a small company that's already here and say, look, can we partner with you for a while? You represent our brand. Let's let's test the market and see see what, what works. And, and as I mentioned sort of a, at the top, the yeah, Asia is such a diverse market. It's, um, you know, Singapore is, is very different from Hong Kong, which is insanely different from Bangkok, Philippines. You know, so um, you, it's, you can't really view it as, as Asia. You, you have to view it on a, on a per country basis. My, I do a daily interview uh, online with business leaders around Asia and, and Singapore consistently comes up as the easiest place to do business so my advice is always going to be you know get started in in singapore that the language is english the the legal system is based on the british system um most of the global companies have headquarters here or regional headquarters here uh so you've got and and everything just works it's it works it's efficient um so this is a great place to to kick off the asian adventure um but i don't think you can afford to not be be playing this game because half the world's population is within a five-hour flight of where we are today um and they're going to come after your market. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it pays, pays to figure out how you can, uh, you can get, get a bit of their pie. That's great advice. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Callum. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. Now, where's the best place to look for you online? I'm sure people will be uh, you know, Googling you right now, uh, <laughs> but maybe there's some particular uh, URLs or, or social networks uh, um, that you would direct them to. Yeah, sure. Look, the, the easiest one is callumlang.com, so C-A-L-L-U-M-L-A-I-N-G.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lang Callum. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some, some of the, the businesses that, that I talked about, the, the main one being keypersonofinfluence.com, um, go and have a look at that. And there's, there's actually a test you can, a free test you can do to sort of figure out where you need to be working on, on your profile. Um, or, or the Harbour Club is, uh, is another small business mergers and acquisitions which just google that that's great well excellent well thank you very much for your time we'll look forward to uh, keeping in touch and uh, and and hearing more from you in the future cool thanks paul thank you the new zealand business podcast brought to you by guerrilla technology your strategic and proactive it partner